Welcome to Unleash Your Sister Saints, a podcast focused on strengthening women's faith in Jesus Christ and helping them wrestle through the sometimes complex gender and cultural dynamics in the church. I'm Dr. Susan Batson, a global expert in women and leadership, a mama four, and a devoted member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have to say I love the word unleash, and I use it often. Now, in each episode, I try to include some research and personal experiences and a challenge to help you feel free to bring your whole self to the Lord's work. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Osler to the show. Liz, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. Liz is a storyteller, researcher, artist, and activist based in Brooklyn. In addition to work as a theater maker specializing in directing and puppetry, Liz is the editor-in-chief of the LDS Women's Project. Now, Liz earned a PhD in contemporary learning and interdisciplinary research from Fordham University. Her research focuses on identifying and discovering cultural master narratives for LDS women, which I love. And I'm so excited to talk to you more about today. Liz oversees the Responsible Business Leadership Certificate Program at the Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University. And she also serves as the Release Society president in her award. Liz, welcome so much. What a rich life full of so much creation. I love that. Thank you. Creativity has been a balm for me. And I think that we're all we're all children of the master creators. Yeah. So it's part of our divine heritage to develop that skill set. And I love that, you know, in this business area and artist and all of these different things. I think I talked about mine and, you know, I was in sports and music and different kinds of things. But I love that combination of things that are not so in the box, all put in this space together. So I love that. So let me first ask you, what led you to becoming involved in advocating for Latter-day Saint women, both through the LDS Women Project and later through your doctoral studies? Yeah, that's such a big question. As I face it, there's a part of me that I've been doing it for so long that to even think back to the origin takes me a minute, but I think it's from a few places. There's a few things I've known about myself since I've had a sense of self. And one of those that was pretty early on that I started to get a feeling for was the desire to make things better. And somehow knowing that, or believing, I should say, that I could be part of that change and that I could enact some kind of change. So that has definitely been a thread. And then in a real activist way, theater making is inherently activist in nature and political in nature. And so, and that's a big part of my identity and how I understand the world. And it's a beautiful platform for doing that. So it manifests in that way. And then I think for me, it got clearer through my relationship in my 20s. I was married and I was in a domestic violence relationship. And getting out of that was a really harrowing experience. And I had a moment where I needed a protective order and I was going through that process. And I was in Utah at the time and they have wonderful resources. A real like community gathers around you and carries you through that. And I remember just being in awe and not even knowing it existed. But then when I needed it, it was there. And in that moment, making a vow to the women who came before me. They knew it was their stories and their experiences that led to those resources. 
being available, I wasn't going to stay silent. And that I'd been silenced in my relationship. And then I wasn't going to stay silent anymore. And I wasn't going to stay still. So it was very much in that moment specifically about domestic violence. But once you dig into domestic violence, gender becomes yes. a huge part of that. And so, you know, it expands and expands and expands. And so doing that work and really looking at gender inequities in the world, but in our community as Latter-day Saints, I was drawn to an article from, it was actually a speech that Nyla McBain gave at oh, a fair yes. conference did you, Yeah, about cooperative ministry. And it blew my mind. And I was like, <laughs> who is this woman? What is she doing? And at the time, it was called the Mormon Women Project. Yes. And I reached out to her and I was like, this is amazing. How do I get involved? And so she brought me on first as producer doing interviews. And then I've been with the organization ever since. I love that so much because I work a lot in the domestic violence space and the sexual assault space and so forth in the state of Utah. And oftentimes women who are in those situations go in different directions. But one that I love seeing is when you actually get away from that situation and find your identity in a different way and find your voice and let that experience unleash you in a different way. And it feels like that's what happened to you. Yeah, I really think that one of the phases you can go through, right, is super simplifying this. Yes. You know, you're it's in complex. this. Yeah, right. The, then you find yourself in this victim place and then you move into survivor. And then if you want to, you can move into advocate. And that was my journey. Well, mm-hmm. I love that. So for listeners who aren't familiar with the LDS Women Project, share a little bit about the resources and what it's all about. I'm completely biased. So <laughs> I love it. You're going to be biased. Amazing. <laughs> I think it is too. Amazing resource. And so we actually are celebrating last month our 15 year anniversary. And so for the past 15 years, we've been collecting interviews of faithful, at least faithful at the time, Latter day Saint women. So women who, at the time, identify as women and as faithful and as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And we interview them and we have their interviews on our site and they're in text format. And we've even thought about, oh, uh-huh. do we move these to um, more podcasts because that seems to be the thing. But Nyland's original vision was text. And there's just been this thing within us to say, podcasts, we love them. And sometimes we will put one on as a podcast, but it really is something about the text, being able to read these interviews, mm-hmm. that I think is important. So they're there for that. And then the other thing we offer, these essays that we are calling essays in discipleship. So think about oh, like- I love that term. Yeah, right. Think of them like topical guides, but an essay on a topical guide that is with a Latter-day Saint female writer. And then we try and have a narrative bent. So like some type of story is weaving throughout this principle. And so the purpose of this is twofold. One, to challenge the stereotypes of what people assume a Latter-day Saint woman is inside and outside of the culture, that we're not just one way. We're actually really diverse in life experiences, in perspectives, in wands, in dreams. We come in all types. Liz, I talk in my Latter-day Saint book that I've written and some other things about the box. And especially being from Utah, you're not living in Utah. But sometimes we think of what is a good, quote, good Latter-day Saint woman look like? And it's all the same in our minds. Yet I love what this project is doing. It's we're not the same. And we need to not be judging each other. Can I just say that? That's exactly right. Because what we're doing when we're judging is we're judging how we are in relation to the box and then how other people are in relation to the box. Or and <laughs> what they should be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's just, that's not a way of building a strong community and sisterhood. Keep going. But one question that keeps 
coming to my mind, I'll just ask you while you're continuing is, so how many stories do you have now? And is the essay part pretty new? And how many essays are out? Yeah. Okay. So close. Trina Cottle, who is our editor, our interview editor, she's going to kill me for not knowing the number. (laughs) And she just gave it to me. I want to say we're not quite at 200 or we're just over 200. Okay. We're right around 200 interviews. And, and women in the church, have you moved into international, other countries? Yes. Yeah. And Trina has, she has a whole spreadsheet. She's trying to get somebody from every state and all the countries. So we have a handful from other countries. And then we've hit most of the states. There's still some pretty much in like the Midwest where we still need a few folks. And because Latter-day Saints are predominantly in the Intermountain West, that's where the bulk of them end on the East Coast, because when Nyland started this project, she was also living in Newark. Yes. So because of where we're, there's some locational favoritism happening there, but we have a wide eye towards. Well, that's awesome. So I cut you off in the middle of Oh, yeah, the other thing that I do think is really relevant that is an area of interest for us and what we're trying to do is that we really view ourselves as a grassroots organization and that we stay within the doctrine. We do support the doctrine. We sustain our leaders, but we want to analyze and critique and interrogate traditions and even policies that are not serving our community. And we believe you start it at home in your own ward. So I certainly believe in writing the first presidency and leaders of the church. I have sent letters. (laughs) But start it at home. You want to see a difference in your ward? Start making that difference in your ward. Yeah, and really separating those doctrines from those policies and practices. Mm -hmm. And some of them are just practices. They're not even policies that we just do. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm sure it's being involved has blessed your life, I would think. Immensely. The friendships that I have made throughout the way in which it has affirmed my testimony in the gospel and really not feeling alone as a feminist and as a change maker in the church, I do not feel alone at all. I know there's a rich community within my organization and how supportive other organizations have been. Like I love Exponent too. They've been great friends to us back and forth and just these other organizations that are out there doing wonderful things. I think it's great. And I love the word activist and I love the word advocate. And so many women that I have talked to get uncomfortable with even advocate. But I explained to them that we're all advocates. We have to be. If we have children, taking our children to the doctor, we're an advocate. If we go to parent-teacher conferences, we're an advocate. And opening our mouth and helping in our communities, if that puts us over into being an activist, which I'm an activist, I think God supports all this activism and so forth. So it's not scary to be in this place, is what I'm saying. It can be. Like, I want to acknowledge that, right? Stepping into discomfort can be scary and stepping into the new can be, but it's not a wrong place. As you were saying that, I had a new thought, which is Christ is often called our advocate, right? And we are promised that he will be our advocate with the Father. And so if we are developing Christ-like attributes, then activism is one of that, right? And when those scriptures talks about, you know, standing for truth and righteousness, and that's being an advocate for the things that you believe 
remember, right. I love that. That's awesome. So you recently earned doctorate degree. I love that. And isn't it? Oh, put her hand across her. Like, whew, that is so true. In contemporary learning and interdisciplinary research. And as we mentioned, your dissertation focused on studying the cultural mastered narratives surrounding Latter-day Saint women. So what are cultural narratives and why do they matter and how do they relate to belonging? I gave you three questions there. Yeah. Let's start with that first. What are cultural narratives? Okay, so there's cultural narratives and then there's cultural master narratives. And I look at cultural master narratives because part of what my dissertation was, if we know what a cultural narrative is, how do we then know if it's a master narrative? And so I was able to, through the help of a wonderful anthropologist at Utah State, actually, we came up with methods. So yay! So cultural narratives are often the stories that we tell about our belonging and our origins. So it doesn't matter if they're accurate. It's just how we tell the stories. So for us in Latter-day Saints are crossing the plains and the story of Brigham Young arriving and this is the place. That is one of our cultural narratives. Also in America, the Thanksgiving story, cultural narratives. What happens are over time, these stories get told over and over again and certain expectations and ways of being, so who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be, start to get ingrained into the culture. And then now we're starting to get into a territory of cultural master narratives. A master narrative tells you who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be in order to belong in the culture. The identity that's kind of taken hold of you. Yes, yes, exactly. And another important distinguish is in a cultural narrative, we understand that the culture has made, has constructed this story. And when I say constructed, right, it can be over facts, but it's still a story we tell. And we understand we told it. What happens to that reification process of something that was once abstract becomes very concrete. Throughout that process, what happens is authorship gets stripped away. No longer do we understand this is something we made up or an interpretation. Now it gets attributed to God or nature. Women are just that way. God wants men to be that way. Uh, When in actuality, we made it up. So that's why they matter so much. Yes. Oh, I love that. Because it's a very different process, right? Like if there's a cultural master narrative and I'm not aligning to it, like my personal narrative is in conflict with it. It's one thing to negotiate that. And any way you're going to negotiate it, there's going to be, it's going to be painful because one of the hallmarks of a cultural master narrative is that there is a consequence for not following. They're compulsory. If I don't follow this, I will be exclusion from the community is on the line, potentially. Kind of that box I was talking about in some ways. Yes, exactly. So, right. So, if there's that conflict there, if I'm negotiating that, it's one thing if my culture is, and I understand my culture wants me to be this way, but I'm not, or wants me to behave this way, and I can't in my identity. That's still painful and its own process. It is a completely different process. Mm, If you think God wants you to be that way or that nature was supposed to make you that way, that's a different negotiation. Ooh, I like this. This is deep. So I'm dying to ask you now. So you used to that and studied that and now crosses over to Latter-day Saint women. Yeah. Oh, yes. Let's (laughs) wrestle in this a little bit. I love that you use the word wrestle. I have become obsessed with this word wrestle in this way. I use it every day in my work. What I'm really learning about myself and seeing around me is those moments when I come down hard and fast on a belief and I didn't wrestle and I'm not wrestling because most things are complicated, then I don't have the full story. 
oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Mm -hmm. So when it comes too easy, especially if it's a complex, then we need to challenge ourselves. Yeah. Then there's like, there's other points of view I'm not taking in. What I did was I wanted to see what cultural master narratives emerged about the LDS culture from Latter-day Saint women. No, so I was that, going yes. to them to tell me what the cultural master narratives were. And what did you learn? Give us like hundreds of pages of dissertation yeah. in like 10 minutes. What I learned is we have them. Of course we do because yes. all cultures have them. So some of them are about Latter-day Saint women specifically, but some of them are about just being a Latter-day Saint in general. And so the ones that had to do with women really had to do with education and also with motherhood. Those were two key ones. So for example, one with education was LDS women should receive an education just in case. Yes, I've heard that and gathered so much research on that. Yes, you have. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's that just in case. And I'll tell you that in doing this research and as I had surveys out, that I got a lot of pushback about that just in case. People From women were, themselves. Yeah, so much so that when the survey came out, I had a friend of mine had sent it out to his people. And it was like a friend of his sister said, you tell her to take that just in case off. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, no, then it's not the narrative just in case. I didn't make this up. I'm not telling you just in case. This is our culture. It's telling us just in case. And so how do people wrestle with that? Is yes. that just an acceptance of that or did no? Okay. No. How did they wrestle with that? No. What I saw was there was a lot of wrestling. A common one was why can't I be educated just for my own development? Yes. Why does it have to be just in case? And there were some who were pushing back. They're like, no, it isn't just in case anymore. Because the thing with the master narrative is not everyone's buying into it, but it's just the one that is established and created the boundary. I shouldn't say created, is holding the boundary of what is the ideal LDS woman at this point. And it's still holding. That's just it. Is it yes. not on its way? It may eventually, you can counter narratives emerge and can push out a cultural master narrative and become the new master narrative, but that one's still holding. I would guess that women feel like they're worth more than just in case that I can get an education because I'm worth it, because God needs my mind, that he needs my work. And we know that education is so linked to so many things other than economic benefits. Exactly. Another one that was tied to that was it's important for LDS women to be educated, but not necessarily intelligent. Oh, dear. Seriously? Yep. And tell me a little bit more about that one. My favorite comment that came from an interview I did with this is she said, don't let them get ideas. <laughs> right? That that's how she tells it. They'd be like, don't let those women get ideas. Oh, my gosh. Because then they might want to do something else. Yes, forth. exactly. But as we read the quotes from the prophets and leaders of the church, how women need to rise yeah, it's latter day saints. It is everything in your head, your brain, your heart, your hands, everything together. So that's interesting, but that is a narrative. You're bringing up a really important point. It's culture lags 
what happens at the pulpit. We can hear something completely different at the pulpit. In a month or so, we're going to have another conference, and we could hear something that just blows our mind. The culture is going to lag. It takes longer for it to really get embedded, and particularly if we're talking about master narratives. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these master narratives, and I did in my dissertation, you can point to things from the pulpit, counter it, but it's still ingrained in the culture. Yes. So we're we're still negotiating. Yes. You still hear things that women don't need their education and so forth when we know that there's pushback on that. So you talked about motherhood, too. Yeah. A few things on motherhood. Yeah. One of them is being a mother is the most important role for an LDS woman. And this one is tricky because our doctrine, and I would even argue a beautiful part of our doctrine, is how families are eternal and how family system is an eternal identity. And the master narrative is the phrase most important. There's a difference that I was very clear when I was doing these that I wasn't taking on doctrine because those aren't master. They can, doctrine can inform master narratives. Master narrative isn't doctrine. Those are two different things. And so the doctrine, right, is around eternal parenthood, right? And that role. But here it's that the most important thing. And so when we talk about is like, I'm not a mother, right? So like me personally, I'm not a mother. And so there can be this sense that no matter what I do, no matter what accomplishes or I make or contributions I make to my family, to my friends, to my ward, to my community, it won't matter much because I wasn't a mother. And that would have been the big thing, right? So that's heartbreaking. But also as mothers that I interviewed, some of them were like, I wasn't good at it and I didn't like it and it impeded my career and I could have been better. That was one perspective. Another perspective is I love this. I know this was what I meant to do and I can do more. It isn't just this. So it's that box, right? It's just like telling me this is the only thing that really matters. And it's so interesting that in the church, we do hear that so much that this is the most important thing you'll do in life. But you don't hear that for men, that fatherhood is the most important thing you will ever do. Yet, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. (laughs) And I often go back, like I'll read something and I was like, did you say the same thing to the men? It should be the case for both if you're going to say that. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So any other points for the motherhood that popped out to you? Mothers are supposed to stay home with their children. If you're a good mother doing the right thing, you know, those are shifting. Yeah. They're still there. They are still there because there's five areas of it, which I won't get into, of the master narrative. But another one is that they're rigid. Even though things change in the culture, they still have a lasting power. So that one might be a chop- on the cultural chopping, like maybe it's getting pushed out, which I wouldn't hurt my feelings if that one got pushed out. But it's still there, right? Like we're still negotiating it. It's wild to me that there's still this idea in wards. And I hear people talk about it in different ways of the woman who is working. And they're like, oh, everybody's judging me because I'm working. And then there's the mother who's staying at home. Everybody's judging me because I'm just a homemaker. (laughs) And we do, as sisters in this gospel and everybody else, too, we've got to get away from it. We were taught so much not to judge. Yeah, we know from unconscious bias research and everything that we're judging all the time, every day, all the time. We're biased. Yeah. So what's your takeaway as you talk to Latter-day Saint women about this? What is your takeaway from all of your research? I know it's super hard having done a dissertation myself decades ago, (laughs) but what would you say? What did it teach you? Maybe it's the better question. So my immediate response is how remarkable Latter-day Saint women are, how we are in our diversity. 
There's something about being women in this moment in time with the gospel that is a unique and an important contribution to humanity. And I really believe that understanding these narratives as narratives and not what God wants of you or what nature has created in you really does give agency back to people to choose whether or not how they want to negotiate with them. And that agency is really important. And it is something that we honor in our culture, right? Agency is a crucial central part of our doctrine. I think about President Nelson's plea from 2015 to speak up and to be active and participatory and bring our full selves to the work and that the church needs us to do that. And I would even argue the world needs us. That I think to when you're looking at the things that are holding you back, my hope and my intention with this work was that you could have agency in it and bring critical thinking to it. You know, and if you're aligning with these, I'm not here to say like, oh, don't align with them. I'm just saying they're here and this is what they are. And this is what our culture has decided who you need to be and how you need to be in order to belong. And if we're entrusted with building Zion, then we need to look at at the bricks that we're laying. How do we do culture in the most inclusive way possible? That's beautiful, that inclusiveness. As you were talking, I was thinking, too, about how in these latter days, right now, in this point of time, how getting our own personal revelation on what God needs us to do that may be different than any woman that's ever belonged to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in different ways, and how we need to just set aside and look at those narratives, look at those pieces, and say, is that or what? With all of that, we're wrestling in, what is God's plan for me, and what do I need to do? I think that's the most important thing, to kind of separate those messages and those narratives, to make sure we're listening to God, because sometimes if we have a bunch of things in our mind, we don't hear some of the most subtle and still messages. You're nodding. Comments. Yeah, 100%. What I was thinking too about, and then how to do that in community, and to try and work this out and figure this out together in community. There have definitely been moments in my life where I've been confronted with my own thoughts and those of others of like, how can you stay in this church knowing all of these things and with these struggles? Yes. And one is, I can't deny the witnesses of the Spirit that I had, and that's not me standing in my integrity if I don't. And then two is the church, it's very clear historically with the church, you can't change it from the outside. We circle the wagons. There's no changing from the outside. If you want to change, you got to change it inside. So that means learning how to do this in community. I am really learning this. It's just like, what does that mean to really do things in community? How do we bring more grace to each other, more kindness to each other? I love it. As we do this, and not to sound so much like a Release Society president, but I did not do my ministering beforehand. And now I'm like, it is all about ministry. Yes. And that is the community. Exactly. Because it's the little bricks. This only works through relationship. It only works through relationship. And that's how women work, actually. Our identities, men are different, actually. Our identities are always connected to each other. Yes, yes. And so we practice with each other. I love this. Our our time is wrapping up. We could just dig in and wrestle through more of this. I love that, though. 
So I'm thinking of, I leave the listeners with one little challenge each week. What would you say to the people listening today about these narratives? What would you mention for them to maybe think about this week as they move forward with their week? So we talked about just a couple of them, but even those are big, is to maybe take a step out as you look at your life and how you're responding to life and what it is you believe you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be is to bring some thought to that and ponder it and even personal revelation to that. Be like, hey, is this serving me? Is this helping me be to the fullest measure of my creation? Or is this stifling and limiting me? Is there a bigger and better way for me to be in this community and in myself? And in, I would add, in relationship to God, even. 100%. I mean, that's part of it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Thank you. So to those who are listening, please follow Unleashing Sister Saints on Facebook and Instagram for more information and to stay up to date. If you would like a particular episode or show in general, please share it with others and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unleashing Sister Saints. This is Dr. Susan Madsen, and I'm devoted to unleashing the positive impact of Sister Saints on the world. <music>